It's almost the regular season, which means only one thing. It's time for our annual top 100 player rankings. How many Seahawks made the list this year? Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking it down on our Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Monday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We're now two weeks away from the start of the 2022 regular season, which means only one thing. It's time for our top 100 rankings from NFL Network at ESPN. Rob and I are going to be diving into those rankings to see the lack of disrespect for the Seahawks here in 2022. We're going to answer your listener questions in our Monday mailbag and some Monday musings, a last look at Friday's 27-26 loss to the Dallas Cowboys in AT&T Stadium. This episode is brought to you by Brightco Jewelry and Watch Insurance. Brightco brings you comprehensive, fast, and affordable jewelry insurance for as low as $5 per month. Check out your special offer for Locked On listeners and get covered in under two minutes at bright.co forward slash locked on. That's bright.co forward slash locked on. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. You get about a week or two away from the start of the regular season every year, and there's a new tradition that's kind of become a holiday for football fans, Rob, and it's the top 100 player rankings and it was first just NFL Network and then ESPN had to jump in as well there may be some other outlets that have their own top 100 player list but those are the two that always get the traction that always draw controversy from fans coaches and players alike the new rankings are out and not surprisingly Seahawks fans are pretty upset because only one player from the Seahawks made each of those lists in the top 100 and Tyler Lockett wasn't either one of them. Certainly some fuel for the fire heading into the season. And even though it might seem silly because it's just a top 100 list, you know, the players pay attention to it just like they do Madden ratings earlier in the off season. Yeah, they're extremely competitive and it is comical, frankly, that there is only one Seahawk listed on each of these two rankings. Uh, you know, the NFL Network, of course, they had the free safety quandary Diggs, who I think absolutely should be on that list. DK Metcalf is the only one who is on ESPN's list. I think it's fascinating. Quandre Diggs, for our YouTube watchers, they're able to see this, but those of you who are not able to see it, I'll explain it. Quandre Diggs was listed number 72 overall by the NFL Network and yet is not listed in the top 100 by ESPN. The, the disparity is even bigger with DK Metcalf, who was listed 51st on ESPN's list, and again, not even in the top 100 for NFL Network. I mean, I don't know what the NFL Network is looking at to not have DK Metcalf on there. And you mentioned Tyler Lockett. I think that Jordan Brooks, 
you know, who, his only put up some of the most eye-popping numbers you've ever seen at the linebacker position a year ago, Corbin, as, as you well know. I mean, to me, there should be at least three players on the Seahawks who are on that list. But again, you, you know how these things go. You know that these are the kind of things that you have some people who have never played the game, who have never coached the game, who have never truly evaluated the game, who just look at stats, just look at some of the flashy highlight reel kind of things. They don't really evaluate football. And those are some of the folks who are actually in charge of this. It's, it's kind of similar to baseball in that the way that they do the all-star game kind of things and th stuff like that. I, I just wish that we would leave the evaluation to the evaluators, the play to the players, the coaching to the coaches and that kind of stuff. Otherwise it is just uh, a given that there is going to be some controversy, especially when you play all the way out in the Pacific Northwest where half the people who are voting probably are asleep before the games really even begin. Here's the thing, Rob, these lists, they have the relevance that would fall between the final quarter of the last preseason game and the bottom of a trash can. Like they, they just, they really aren't relevant at all, but they get people fired up. They're getting me fired up every year. They do. I always tell myself, it's just the NFL top 100. It's players picking 20 players and then you have coaches involved with it, and then fans also have involvement. And ESPN is more about front office people making these selections. So you have little different categorizations as far as these players getting picked goes. And you do mostly have people that are in the game picking, but at the same time, I actually don't know if having players pick their own peers necessarily is the best way to try to vote in a poll like this either, because there is going to be some favoritism that goes into that. But I don't know that there's a perfect science. So, again, both these rankings, this is not the end-all, be-all that, well, this guy's not on this list, so he's not a top 100 player. I mean, Quandre Diggs, I, I will say this from a positive standpoint. We've talked time and time again about how he is incredibly underrated and keeps getting overlooked. Finally, to see him make one of these lists, and honestly, I take the NFL one a little bit more seriously than I do the other one typically the one from ESPN, but to see him crash the top 75, finally, that shows that maybe there's a little bit of respect coming his way. But then you got to wonder with Tyler Lockett, what more do you have to do? Three straight thousand yard seasons. He's been one of the most productive receivers in the NFL for the last four years. He's been consistent. He's been durable, as reliable as any re uh, receiver that's out there in the NFL. And yet he continues to be criminally underrated and not seeing him on either one of these lists. You could even make an argument with the season Jamal Adams had last year. I can understand why he's not on the list, but Jamal Adams has three all pros to his name. So him not being in consideration for either one of these lists is a little bit baffling. And what it really tells you, Rob, is just another is another reassurance of what the national viewpoint is of the Seahawks right now without Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner, who, by the way, are on both of these top 100 lists. Yep their respective teams being out of Seattle now. I think that has more to do with this than anything. It's just the general lack of expectations for this franchise going into this season. And the fact that there's some really good players just kind of is getting put off the side. Well, they're not going to be good enough to get this team into playoff contention. So let's not even put them in the top 100. It's stunning to me that Metcalf was not in the top 50 on the one list. It wasn't even on the other one. Those three players are all easily in the top 100 players in the NFL. So it makes it laughable when you look at these rankings.
It, it does. And that's the biggest reason why, as you just mentioned, Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner are both on those lists. And I, I think that, hey, I mean, I, you're talking about two future Hall of Fame players. I, I certainly do not mean any disrespect towards Russell Wilson or Bobby Wagner. But let's be clear, the 2021 seasons were not good seasons for either Russell Wilson or Bobby Wagner. Jordan Brooks, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, uh, you know, Quandre Diggs, even Jamal Adams in some ways. I mean, I, I think that you can have those conversations, but to to not to have not have DK Metcalf on that list, I, I get it with Tyler Lockett. I I think that anytime you are a player who is perceived to be too small and and he's just kind of like a, he's the guy that, that Russell Wilson helped make into a superstar rather than the other way around, which I think might be part of the case here. But I understand why there are some who are going to perpetually underrate Tyler Lockett. But how do you underrate DK Metcalf? How do you underrate Jordan Brooks with the years that they had this last season? I mean, I just that boggles my mind. And so, yeah, it, it doesn't, uh, you know, the way they get some riled up, it doesn't get me riled up. It makes me kind of chuckle. And as you said, I just think that it's uh, basically bomb of the garbage can kind of rankings. And again, just proves that some of the people who are voting are doing so based on reputation rather than actually watching anything like film. Yeah, and I think Bobby Wagner coming in at number 29 on ESPN's ranking. Bobby Wagner is still a good player, but he is not a top 30 player in the NFL anymore. I don't think he has been for a couple years. I can see him being on this list. But again, you can nitpick, you can cherry pick different rankings up and down from 1 to 100. There's guys that didn't make the list that absolutely belong on there. There's some guys that are older veterans that probably don't deserve to be on there anymore, but... They still are. A lot of it's name recognition. And around the league, that sticks with players, too. That's not just fans. Players are going to select veterans that have got a resume where they've been pro bowlers and all pros. Those guys are going to make these lists because of the name recognition when maybe they don't necessarily deserve it. So it's always fun to talk about. Not necessarily important, not legitimate rankings like end-all, be-all. These are your top 100 players, but it creates discussion. That's what the NFL, that's what ESPN is aiming to do, and they never fail this time of year. As proven in this first segment, it's going to create discussion and debate. And so Quandre Diggs is going to be going out there saying, hey, I should have been on both lists. Time for me to be an all-pro. DK Metcalf, more fuel for his fire after getting a big contract. And Tyler Lockett, I think he doesn't really care if he's underrated or not. He's going to go out and he's going to play his game. He's not going to let rankings impact him. Some guys it would impact more than others. Up next, it's our Monday mailbag. We didn't get to your questions last week with there being a game on Friday. We're going to tackle as many of your questions as we can here in an extended second quarter. And then later in the show, we're going to take a closer look. Monday musings, Seahawks, Cowboys, Kind of put a bow on that preseason finale from Friday night. When I proposed to my wife at Cannon Beach on the Oregon coast, I bobbled the ring as I pulled it out of the box and nearly dropped it into the Pacific Ocean off of a rock. It nearly became a life-altering, incredibly expensive disaster for several onlookers to see a crowded tourist destination. These guys at Brightco are geniuses. They made buying insurance for your engagement ring, your watch, or whatever so friggin' easy you can get it covered in two minutes on your cell phone. You won't find a better deal on great coverage that's super affordable so that you're protected in case you have a situation like mine. I got lucky. You might not be as fortunate. Bright.co forward slash locked on. Make sure to check it out. Two minutes. Get yourself some insurance for your jewelry, watch, or other expensive items. 
Turo is the world's largest car sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want, whatever you want, from a community of local hosts. Browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget across the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. Book a spacious SUV or minivan for a family road trip. Get a classic or luxury car for a special event, birthday, or holiday. Find affordable economy cars if you're on a budget and just need to get from A to B. Test drive that new electric vehicle you've had your eye on to see how it fits in your everyday life. Many Turo hosts can even deliver the car right to you. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms and conditions apply. Ditch boring rental cars and find your drive at Turo.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s for making Locked On Seahawks your first lesson five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up here next week, August 31st, make sure to check out the Alderman Pro Football Preview, an eight-episode extravaganza to get you ready for the NFL season. The local team of experts of Locked On Podcast Network and Odyssey NFL Insiders are all combining into one Alderman NFL preview. Again, that starts August 31st. Search for Alderman Pro Football Preview 2022 on your Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get podcasts. It's time for our Monday mailbag segment. Usually we reserve this for towards the end of the week, but the Seahawks having some really weird preseason games. They had a Tuesday nighter. They had a Friday nighter. We haven't been able to get all of our mailbag segments in. So without further ado, let's get to it here. Our first one coming from Justin Melendez tweets, could you see any way the Seahawks keep Bo Melton over a player like Penny Hart, for example. I've noticed this, Rob. There are a lot of Seahawks fans that have been speaking out since our episode yesterday wondering why we cut Bo Melton. So maybe this gives a little bit of an opportunity to revisit that difficult decision. Well, I, I certainly think that Bo Melton could stay on this roster. I mean, anytime you invest a draft pick in a guy who runs in the four threes and it was as productive as Bo Melton was at Rutgers as well as the Senior Bowl, then then yeah, uh, I think that you can make that argument. There, there's no question that Bo Melton is a better athlete than Penny Hart. Uh, it, it's just the fact that I think that Penny Hart might be pound for pound Seattle's toughest football player. He is certainly among their better special teams players. And when you're talking about those receivers, especially at the very back end of the roster, Corbin, uh, I think that they have to be able to provide something on, on special teams as well. So that would be the re- the justification uh, of why I think that uh, that you know Bo Melton, or excuse me, that that Penny Hart is the better player and, and should be on Seattle's roster. And if that takes the spot for for Bo Melton, then it does. And there is no question: if you cut Bo Melton, he's got enough name recognition out there. You may lose him. I don't know that you would lose Penny Hart, and that is the slant there. That, that's the argument. But I do think that Penny Hart is the better, more valuable football player to the Seahawks right now, and that is the reason why I put him at least on my initial fifty-two. Yeah, this is one of those really difficult decisions for me when I was putting my 53 together. And I could see Bo Melton making this roster if it's truly all about the youth movement. But reliability-wise, consistency-wise, special teams-wise, Penny Hart has been better in training camp in the preseason. He's got game experience. The drops have been a major issue so far for Bo Melton. And maybe the Seahawks can look past that, especially because that's just kind of been a team issue over the last couple of weeks. But... There have been some big plays left in the field. And with his size, I think that you have a better chance of sneaking a smaller, fast receiver to the practice squad than you do somebody like Dariq Young. There are not many six foot two, 225-pound receivers with 4'4 speed and sub 6'9 three-cone quickness. 
that are on the free agent market. There might not be another one on the waiver wire. So I actually think Dariq Young is going to be a harder player to slip to the practice squad than Bo Melton, where there's a lot of players that have at least similar size that might run in the low 4-4s or high 4-3s. Speed doesn't just guarantee you a roster spot these days, especially with how much talent there is at receiver. So that would be my argument. I think that there's certainly a chance he could be on the team. I just think that Penny Hart, his special team's value and just the consistency aspect is probably what sets him apart when you're trying to figure out who makes this 53-man roster out of the gate. Next question from Marcus tweets, do you think Seattle regrets moving on from Bobby Wagner at this point? Do you think something could have been done to make that work for another year? And I'm assuming meaning the relationship between the player and the team. Rob, do you think there's any regret at this point? Because the linebackers have been pretty bad during the preseason. <laughs> they, they certainly have. And, and, you know, again, Bobby Wagner is just a, a, a great player, uh, probably an even greater human being, at least in my limited interactions with him. And, and certainly everybody that I've talked to about him says basically the same thing. So I think that there has to be some regret in that way. But, I, you know, I know in, in having conversations with you know, decision makers throughout the league, that there is very much a belief that you'd rather be a year early and rip the Band-Aid off, so to speak, yeah. than be a year late. And, and that's, I think, the concern with, with Bobby Wagner is he is at the tail end of his career. He was owed an awful lot of money and showed zero willingness to, to renegotiate, as Jimmy Garoppolo just did, you know, kind of our breaking news uh, of the day here. So I, I think that's what Seattle is looking at. Sure, you, you had to know that when you lost it, you, you allowed a, a future Hall of Famer to go out the door and you had some concerns about depth and you had to know that there was going to be some ugly moments. But at the same time, I, I think the Seahawks feel very confident that they made the right decision um, And you know, when, when it comes to Bobby Wagner. And I think that it was the right time to move on and try to rebuild this roster. I know that it hurts Seahawk fans because of how great of a player and how great of a man that Bobby Wagner is. You wanted to see him end his career here. I think at the end of the day, it was more about the money value than it even was moving on a year early. I think that Seattle, knowing that Russell Wilson was going to be gone, they felt like this is the time for us to cut some of these huge contracts for aging players, even though he can still play. Let's do that now, and we can accelerate our rebuild with some of that cap space that's going to be coming our way. So I think that was the big reason why that move was made above all else. And neither side, I think, was interested in trying to renegotiate here. And both sides have to want a tango if you're going to do that. DJ Rowdy tweets, would Jimmy G have been a good interim quarterback before drafting one next year? And I actually altered the question up, DJ Rowdy, because you asked, would he be? But He's not going to be because of the renegotiated contract with a no trade clause that he agreed to today, according to Adam Schefter. So Jimmy Garoppolo is not coming to the Seahawks, but if he would have, I just, I've said this a couple of times, I could have seen Seattle having some interest, but the more that this quarterback competition, if you want to call it that has played out, Rob, it's become very evident to me that this was the Geno Smith show. They wanted Geno Smith to win this job. And there's a trust factor there. Pete Carroll saw what he did in those three starts last year. He saw the point guard aspect that he brings to the quarterback position, his familiarity with the offense, not turning the ball over, being risk averse. And he checked off all those boxes. I just think all along that has been the game plan. Unless Geno Smith just falters, he is going to be the guy. And I think that included Jimmy Garoppolo or even Baker Mayfield in that discussion. Seattle was not going to go out and get a guy that maybe slightly better, but really isn't going to move the needle. 
Geno Smith was going to be the guy. So I, I don't know that he necessarily would have done much. Maybe he nets you one more win. I think he's a little better player than Geno Smith, but I don't think it's such a wide gap that it would really tr- transform your season, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think that Jimmy Garoppolo is a better player uh, than either Geno Smith or or Drew Locke. Um, but at the same time, I would agree with you. I don't know that you necessarily are competing for playoff spot or a Super Bowl opportunity if you bring in Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, I, you know, it, it's it's tough because I, I do believe in the motivation that Jimmy Garoppolo may have had. I, I don't think that it was surprising at all that the Jimmy Garoppolo had the season that he had last year after the 49ers make the big move for Trey Lance, just like I wasn't surprised at all. Aaron Rodgers returned back to his MVP form the year after the Green Bay Packers, uh, you know, select Jordan Love in the first round. To me, there is just something there. And I think that, uh, you know, John Lynch and the 49ers were very, very wise to not allow Garoppolo out of the building because had he signed with Seattle, that week two matchup would have been really, really interesting from a Seattle perspective, from a Garoppolo perspective, just because again, of that revenge factor. But you, you talked about the familiarity offense and how secure Geno Smith is, at least, you know, in Pete Carroll's kind of mind, he is that kind of security blanket. I, I think there's something to be said for that because obviously Garoppolo would have been coming into a completely different offense and that takes time. So I, again, I, I think that when it's all said and done, Garoppolo is probably better off in, in San Francisco uh, being that tutor for, for Trey Lance, who I think is going to be a star. And I am fascinated to see how this is going to play out with, with Geno Smith, perhaps Drew Lockett in some opportunities down the season and if things don't turn out very well then again as we've talked about so many times seattle has the ammunition to go get take advantage of this 2023 draft class at the quarterback position next question here coming from lane smith tweeting is there any chance we see kobe bryant playing outside at cornerback i really hope he's not just a nickel you will see him on the outside. I just don't know that it is going to be this year. That's where he spent most of training camp, and he had a really good first couple of weeks playing in the outside. But his best chance to play right now, because of the emergence of fellow rookie Tariq Woolen and also having Artie Burns and Sidney Jones, who played well in training camp on the outside, his best chance to play right now is in the slot, and his skill set really fits that position well. I said this the other day. I still think that Kobe Bryant and Tariq Woolen are your are, those are your long term starters at the outside cornerback positions. But in the short term, Sidney Jones is there. Artie Burns can play there. Woolen looks like he's ready to play right away. If Kobe Bryant wants to be a factor on the field, the best spot to do it right now is in the slot. Maybe a year or two from now, it'll be on the outside. They'll have Trey Brown hopefully back at that point too, and they can try to figure out what they're going to do with him. He can play in the slot and the outside too, but he's capable. I think you could see him there. I just wouldn't bet on it this year. Slot is his best chance to play right now. I, I 100% agree. Um, and also, we got to get rid of this this notion like only a nickel corner, only a slot corner. I mean, that's a starting position in today's And it's NFL. an important position. Uh, Cooper Cup lines up in the slot most of the time. You know, that's the thing. It is, so you you ha- we have to kind of get away from this idea that it, it is just the, the third best corner or whatever. It, it's it, it maybe in some ways it, it can be that, but it's arguably the most physical corner as well because, again, you're closer to the line of scrimmage. You have to have your head on a swivel and be able to play run defense. One of the things that's been so impressive about Kobe Bryant has just been his awareness, has been his open field tackling. That's been 
been an area of concern, certainly for Tariq Willen, although he has shown improvement. It previously had been a concern for Artie Burns. It certainly had been a concern for Sidney Jones. I think that that's one of the reasons why that Seattle has moved Kobe Bryant into nickel, to show off what a savvy player that Bryant is. I don't think it's a slight in any way. I think it goes back to what you just said, Corbin, that it's the best way of getting him on the field right now because I think that they feel pretty secure with their outside corners. Justin Coleman was signed to be that nickel, and obviously he was a stud for Seattle in that position a couple of years ago, but he may not be the same kind of guy. So I think the easiest path to getting Kobe Bryant onto the field was that nickel spot, and it just so happens that he's flourished there. So why not give him the credit rather than it being a little bit of a, uh, you know, a negative comment about it? And our last question here coming from Christopher Standard Time on YouTube. Which quarterback do you think starts the most games for the Seahawks? Bonus, is that guy on the team yet or not? I think with Garoppolo now restructuring, yes, the answer to that is yes. The guy is already on the roster. I'm going to stick, and this is not me tooting my own horn, Rob, but I think pretty much since Geno Smith re-signed, I have been saying he was going to be the starter in week one. I predicted that he was going to start all the games at one point. I don't know if I feel quite as confident with that now, but I think that Geno Smith is going to be the starter for way more games than Drew Locke if Drew Locke does get that opportunity. I just, I still believe, based on what I said earlier, Pete Carroll trusts Geno Smith. He trusts him to run the offense. He's risk averse, not having all the turnovers. I think that Pete Carroll wants that at quarterback more than a gunslinger that might have more upside, but also has a lower floor. That's not something that interests Pete Carroll right now. So I'm still rolling with Geno Smith being the quarterback that's going to start the most games this year. Well, I think that's a, a solid bet. Uh, at the same time, I got to throw some touchdowns then. I mean, that's the thing is that you can feel as safe as you want. If they start off 0-5, then, then what the heck are you doing? You know, and, and so that to me is the conversation here is that certainly Geno Smith has earned the starting spot. And I think that he's going to be just fine. But I don't know that he is going to be the difference maker. And unfortunately, Drew Locke has proven to be a difference maker on the other side. And I 100% agree with you that, that Pete Carroll wants to have safety, reliability, consistency at quarterback. He wants to be able to close his eyes and know the kind of play that the quarterback is very likely to make. Drew Locke, while eyes wide open, still makes some just, you know, incredibly incon uh, inconsistent type of decisions with the football. And, and that's one of the things is, is that, and we're going to talk about this in a couple of moments here. You look at some of the decisions that he made against Dallas, for example, those are some of the same mistakes that we saw in Denver, we saw at Missouri. And so the fact that Geno Smith has improved in that regard and Drew Locke, at least at this point, has not, continues to kind of stub his toe on the same bump in the road, so to speak, uh, that is the biggest concern. And that's why I feel like kind of like what happened in Denver, that the Seahawks coaches uh, may not trust Drew Locke nearly as much as they do Geno Smith. And, and that's why Geno Smith is a starter. It remains to be seen, of course, how what the record is going to turn out to be. And that is why I do think when it's all said and done, Drew Locke is going to start some games. He is going to score some points. And that's going to create enough fan buzz that I think if the season does start to go downhill, as so many people predict, that I think that Drew Locke is going to wind up starting a lot of games in the second half of the season. I just don't know that either one of them is going to be able to stay healthy because I have real concerns about once real football gets going. If these two rookie tackles or Jake Curran at the right tackle position, regardless of what it is, the inexperience of Seattle's offensive line actually starts to show up once the real bullets start flying in the regular season. 
that could be a potential concern. We have seen that line protect well, but it's been preseason going against mostly third, fourth, fifth stringers. It's a different game when Nick Bosa is lining up in week two on the opposite side. We're going to have one last chance here to dive into that preseason finale, our Monday musings, some in-depth takeaways after reviewing the regular film and the All-22 as well. We'll get to those here in a moment. As a diehard fantasy player, I'm rolling with Josh Allen to throw for over 400 yards, Jonathan Taylor to amass three rushing touchdowns, and Cooper Cup to snag 10 receptions in week one. Those might seem like bold leaps, but with prize picks, it's easy to play daily fantasy and put those entries to the test. Pick two to five players, and if they go score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch, whether it's the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, college football, women's college basketball, esports, tennis, boxing, even disc golf. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. It's safe with fast withdrawals, currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. Download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Prize Picks will give you $50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on. Sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith, joining me for our Monday show. My co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. It's Fantasy Draft Week on the Locked On Podcast Network, so go make Locked On Fantasy Football your second listen. Fantasy expert Vinny Iyer, who brings over 20 years of NFL expertise and a unique angle to give you the moves no one else has. Get ready for your fantasy draft with Locked On Fantasy Football, available everywhere you listen to podcasts. It's time for our Monday musings. This is going to be a Monday staple throughout the 2022 season. We've had odd game days, like Tuesday night games, Friday games in the preseason. That's going to change now going into the regular season with most of Seattle's games being on Sunday. We will be able to have our Monday musings the day after. We had a whole weekend to sit on this final preseason game, Rob. And so now it's time for some in-depth discussion on what went down, 27-26 loss for the Seahawks against the Cowboys at AT AT&T Stadium. Let's start on offense. What is one thing that jumps out to you after re-watching the film, getting a chance to look back at that game? What was one offensive topic that jumped out to you that you want to break down here on today's episode? Damn, Drew Locke, you fumbled again. And and not quite (laughs) literally, obviously, through interceptions rather than fumbling the ball, but he he fumbled away his opportunity, and and that is what is so frustrating. I I alluded to this a couple of moments ago, Corbin. Like When I watched the interceptions that he threw, and there were a couple of throws that were nearly intercepted that were not. Uh, You know, It's the same kind of mental errors of not being able to read defenses quickly enough, trusting his arm too much, uh, and you know he just has such a quick release that I think some Sometimes he looks off the defense and then he he goes into his process and thinks that he knows what's going on and then just throws the ball without looking again. And and those are the type of of troubling mistakes that basically handed Geno Smith the job. That would be my biggest argument about this entire process. Geno Smith did not seize this opportunity. I don't care what Pete Carroll, how he wants to say it. I mean, you cannot 
go into three preseason games, not throw a single touchdown, and then tell me that he won this job. You know, that's the thing. Drew Locke, unfortunately for him, uh, you know, did not seize his opportunities. He made the mental errors that, unfortunately, he showed the ability – he showed – uh you know, a, a likelihood of making in Denver and in Missouri previously. And so because there has not been that growth, that is the, the biggest takeaway for me, um, is that he has to continue to improve that. He sounded pretty defeated during the, the post-game press conference. And I'm sure he's kicking himself, but he's got to be better at that. And, and so that's, I do think, I feel very, very confident that he is going to get another opportunity this season and he has to be better. But I think just kind of specifically breaking down those three interceptions, the very, you know, the very first one, you know, I, I don't want to call out other players, but, you know, D. Eskridge is a guy that is has been able to bank on his athleticism, kind of like Drew Locke banking on his arm. And if, if uh, D. Eskridge has any type of effort in coming back to the football, if he runs that route correctly, and interestingly enough, I watched the All-22, and then I happened to watch the NFL Network version of it, and they had Michael Irvin, the, the Hall of Famer, of course, the Cowboys, breaking down this game. And he talked about this exact play where D Eskridge is the one that he blamed for this player. And this is a wide receiver, of course, critiquing another wide receiver, but he, he called out Eskridge and says, you have to run right at that corner. So that way, if that corner is going to come back towards the ball, he has to go through you, create the contact. And instead Eskridge went around him. And we're going against a, a corner like Mukuamu who's like six, three with long arms. It's easy to slip around a guy like that. And so that contributed to the interception, still a bad throw by Drew Locke, but I would argue that that was as much on the young wide receiver as it was on the young quarterback. There's no question that Drew Locke was fooled with the, the interception right before halftime. Uh, you know, that was just a, a heck of a play by the Dallas defensive back, a heck of a call. Um, but Drew Locke has to see that coming. That's a pretty simple read, uh, at least when it comes to the NFL. Uh, and, and then, of course, the Aaron... Again, I don't want to call other players, but when you throw the football, you got to have the receiver catch the ball. And Aaron Fuller just simply dropped the ball that was perfect. Uh, you know, there was another perfect throw that obviously went to, to Penny Hart in the right corner of the end zone for a touchdown. I mean, Corbin, you know this. I mean, the the ball placement on that it was pristine. I mean, he doesn't get any better than that. Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, none of them throw that ball any better than Drew Locke did. So the talent is there, but the the troubling mental mistakes is why Drew Locke is going to find himself on the bench to start the season. It's really, and I've said this a couple of times since the game, uh, this game was a microcosm of Drew Locke's career to this point, where you see those tantalizing plays. That 35-yard touchdown was a perfect drop-in-the-bucket throw. That looked like a Russell Wilson-type throw downfield. But then you have that trap coverage that any reasonable quarterback has to be able to read that, and you don't make that throw. But Drew Locke in year four is still making that throw. Now, in his defense and in Geno Smith's defense, because as you mentioned, there's no touchdown passes for Geno Smith the preseason, but he has been killed by drops the entire preseason. The gap between DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and the rest of the Seahawks receiving core is like a crevasse on Mount Everest. It's, it's wider than the discrepancy in salary. And we're talking two of the top 10 highest paid receivers in football. And then D Eskridge comes in at number three at under $1.5 million. It's a bigger gap than that. When you have 16 drops in the preseason, mostly by receivers, that, that is atrocious. That's more than they had the entire season last year in 2021 as a team. They did it in three games. 
So the other receivers, the ones that even make this roster, like you have got to step your game up. And at the same time, Geno Smith just has to be sitting in the corner, just smiling like, thank God I get DK Metcalf back and I'm going to have Tyler Lockett for four full quarters because nobody else has helped him. Freddie Swain dropping passes. Dariq Young had a couple drops in the first quarter. He bounced back in that game, but had a couple drops playing with Geno. Aaron Fuller dropping passes. Kate Johnson's had a drop or two thrown in there. Bo Melton's dropped three or four of them. Like receivers have consistently let both these quarterbacks down. So that gap, it just continues to look wider and wider. So thank goodness you have those top two, but you're still waiting for another receiver, whether that's D. Eskridge or Marquise Goodwin, whoever it is, you need somebody else that can rise to the occasion. And Seattle just continues to wait and wait to no avail. That has not happened at this point. Now on the defensive side of the football, you know, I could talk Miles Adams. I could talk Mike Jackson. I've talked both those guys up. They were my game ball candidates in our post-game show on Friday night. But when I went back and watched the film, it is time to give Joel DeBlanco some love. The pride of Aberdeen, Washington played with Kobe Bryant at Cincinnati. I'll admit it. I trashed him after the second preseason game and he deserved it. It was a really poor performance. And I did give him the benefit of the doubt in the sense he was with the team for like eight minutes before he played in that game. And he's an undrafted rookie, but he looked like he did not belong on an NFL field. The improvement he made from that second preseason game to this third preseason game. I don't know that I've ever seen a player, at least when I've been covering the Seahawks, I don't know that I've ever seen a player improve as much as he did from one game to the next, just having another week of practice, learning from his mistakes in that first game that he played for Seattle I don't think he's making this roster, but I think he might have bought himself a practice squad spot. And with the depth concerns they have, if he can continue improving, he might be on this roster at some point this year. 11 tackles in the game. He did have a big missed tackle on that final touchdown Dallas scored. So he wasn't perfect, but he had several really nice tackles. A couple of them right at the line of scrimmage. He was doing a better job reading the run game. He had a really nice pass breakup in coverage. He looked much more comfortable in that capacity. The first game, he was getting picked on. You could just tell he wasn't comfortable. But this guy's got decent athleticism, and he was moving much better in coverage on Friday night. So, again, not making the 53, but I think DeBlanco certainly could be in the running for one of those practice squad spots and maybe play some snaps at some point, especially if they need some reinforcements on special teams. Kudos to Joel DeBlanco for the strides he made from one game to the next, especially with how poorly he played in that first game. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. I mean, because there was a significant gap. between. I don't know if it was a Mount Everest crevasse type of gap, but it was a <laughs> it, it was a big gap because DeBlanco did struggle a little bit in that very first game. But as you said, I mean, he had only just got signed. Seattle throws him out there, and he was getting uh, you know picked apart a little bit in coverage, and he took some you know some kind of questionable angles and just got you know outran to the sideline a couple of times. He had some missed tackles, but it was the the confidence, uh, the angles that he took, um, and in the second. Uh, uh, opportunity against Dallas to finish up the, the preseason that was very very encouraging. I, the, you, as you said, you know, you, you very rarely see guys make that much of a leap. Uh, Brock Coyle, another former Seahawk linebacker, I thought made a similar leap, uh, you know, a few years back. Um, and, and so that to me is very encouraging. I, I agree with you. I think that he absolutely has a chance at the practice squad, perhaps even making this roster just because the depth at linebacker is as much of a concern as it is. But um, yeah, very excited for, for what he put on tape because not only here in Seattle and obviously with the Aberdeen product, as you mentioned, that would be really cool. 
Um, but at the same time, if not in Seattle, then there's going to be a lot of other clubs. Uh, I've been talking to some teams just today, and there are a lot of teams out there, Corbin, who are talking about keeping three inside linebackers because they just see so many young players available. Um, of course, DeBlanco might be one of those that other clubs are kind of looking at like, hey, if Seattle, if you don't want them, we certainly will. Um, so I'm really interested to see what kind of happens with him. But you mentioned the player that I think we got to talk about, and, and that's Miles Adams. I mean, as I mentioned before, I was disappointed that one of Seattle's quarterbacks did not truly seize the opportunity. Well, Miles Adams seized the opportunity. Uh, I think that we had to think coming into this that this was LJ Collier's job. You say what you will about the disappointment as a former first-round pick and all that. The undrafted free agent trying to fight up fight against a first-round pick in LJ Collier, and for Miles Adams to be the better, more consistent, flashier player in every single step of the way, uh, he truly did seize this opportunity. And so, to me, that is one of the most uh, I think underrated stories of this entire training camp has just been that there have been some players who have seized these opportunities. They just don't play the position everybody wants to talk about. Yeah. Miles Adams, as much as any player on Seattle's roster truly capitalized on the opportunity that was presented to him and he played well in his couple games last year. So he had momentum and he built off that. A lot of times you see guys in such situations like that, they come to camp. I'll give you an example. Cedric Lattimore last year, I thought Cedric Lattimore was going to be, what Miles Adams has become. I thought he was going to be the next undrafted DT that ends up making this roster. He was released two weeks into camp. Like he not only didn't improve, he regressed, but Miles Adams built off of that momentum and was even better at 300 pounds. He's gained a little bit of weight to fit this defense a little bit better. So kudos to him real quick, special teams observations. This was based off of a question. We didn't have time to answer in the second quarter, but Toxie on YouTube asked who should be returning kickoffs. And I think it's absolutely got to be D. Eskridge. It only took me one punt return on Friday night to make that decision. Freddie Swain's been back there. And whether fair or not, a lot of media members have given him the nickname Fair Catch Freddie, which I'd rather have fair catches than bobbling the football and turning it over, like we saw in a couple examples this preseason. But you just don't have the burst. You don't have the electricity. D. Eskridge, the one that he did return, went back about 12 yards. If you could consistently get 10 to 12 yard punt returns and he has the speed, if he gets to the next level, he can take it to the house. You're not going to have that with Freddie Swain. So I think that Eskridge is your punt returner and I would keep with DJ Dallas as your kick returner. He might not have the ability to bust one for a touchdown. He did it in college though. He had several nice returns last year. He's reliable. He's tough. He has really good vision reading his blocks. So I would stick with DJ Dallas, but I think that Dwayne Eskridge showed you with the speed being healthy, his quickness, he should be the one returning punts coming week one against Denver. I agree 100% with you. I think that when you have athletes like Dallas and Eskridge, and if you have to manufacture opportunities for them, then you do so. Who cares? Get them on the field. And, and they certainly have that playmaking ability. So, yes, I, I agree with that. To me, that was a positive. Uh, you know, I think there's some other positives on special teams with, with Jason Myers. I mean, my goodness, four for four on field goals, kicks a 52-yarder. Obviously, a week ago, uh, you know, at home, misses one of his two field goal opportunities, finishes six out of seven for the, the preseason. This is the bounce back that we were hoping to see from him. Um, and, of course, you, you know you're going to get the steady play 
from the all-pro punter Michael Dixon. You know, Tyler Ott is, you know, people don't want to talk about long snappers. It's kind of like, you know, undrafted for agent defensive tackles. But Tyler Ott has been as consistent as it gets for a long time now with the Seahawks. And then finally, the last kind of thing I would say about Seattle's special teams is we talked about before, you know, about – losing some of the players that have been veterans that you've relied on uh perhaps a nick Ballor, perhaps a ryan neal guys like that that you trust perhaps a penny hart guys like that that you trust i get all of that and if, if seattle was re realistically competing for a super bowl i think you have to keep all those veterans to make sure that your special teams unit is a, a strength of your team but at this point the rebuild is very very obvious i think to anybody who has is just not being completely slanted in their perspective on this and so why not go with the young, speedier, more athletic guys? And that's the most exciting thing. Pete Carroll has said it from the get-go. This is the fastest team that he's ever coached. And I think you can see that on special teams. Sometimes they're not in the right gap. Sometimes they're getting bowled over. But that's where you got to coach them up. I think the Seahawks have the special teams coach and Larry Izzo that can pull that off. And so that, to me, was one of the positives uh, that I saw from that game from a special teams perspective as well, is that the Seattle's speed does stand out on tape. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, streaming five days a week on YouTube as well. Coming up on our Tuesday episode, we're going to officially know all of the roster cuts. Who made the initial 53? Rob and I are going to be breaking down offense and defense, surprises, maybe some picks that we weren't expecting did any undrafted players make it? We'll have all that information, at least the preliminary 53-man roster. We'll be breaking it all down on tomorrow's episode. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.